The universe is never ending and always expanding. With such a large space, there's much we don't know. Like, are there other inhabitable planets? Is there life out there? How far away is the nearest alien species? And are they friendly? Today, we'll be taking a look at both a classic invasion film and a newer take on the genre. Join us for this trip into outer space on the Crossroads Podcast. Welcome to the Crossroads Podcast. This week we'll be looking at the 1978 film Invasion of the Body Snatchers and the 2021 release A Quiet Place Part 2. I'm Ryan, one of your hosts. And I'm your other host, Rob. And Rob, uh, do you want to start with Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Let's do it! Invasion of the Body Snatchers is a 1978 remake of a 1956 film which is itself based on a short story by Jack Finney. This particular version was written by W.D. Richter and directed by Philip Kaufman. It stars Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, and Jeff Goldblum. And uh, Veronica Cartwright and Leonard Nimoy in smaller roles. Oh yes, Leonard Nimoy. Can't forget about him. Yeah, this, this was interesting to me because this was before Jeff Goldblum had developed his Jeff Goldbluminess, for lack of a better term. Yeah, he's a lot less goofy in this than he typically is, but he's still yeah. kind of coming up on the cusp of that goofiness. Yes, you can see it starting to brew a little bit. Like, there's some weird idiosyncrasies, but he's not quite the guy we yeah, know and he, love he's, just yet. He's not up to the fly yet. <laughs> yes, or, you know, where he is now, where he's almost like his own species. Where he's just like a bumbling idiot. <laughs> <laughs> he was my favorite thing about uh, about Thor the ragnarok ragnarok yeah. yeah he was amazing in that don't get me wrong <laughs> I, I i like jeff goldblum so anything yeah. he's in i'll check out yes i didn't think he was going to have that big a role in this because he was in annie hall the year before and had one line yeah. in one scene and he was like the secondary protagonist basically here this was my was cool. first time watching this particular version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So when Jeff Goldblum's name came up in the opening credits, I was a little shocked to see it. And also shocked to see him in such a big role in this film. Yeah. I mean, this must have been one of his first starring roles. Yeah, I'm looking through his filmography now and it's just minor roles in Death Wish, California Split, Nashville. Yeah. Bunch of movies I haven't really heard of, so... Yeah, and then not long after that, his career really starts taking off. Yes. He must have met someone or just landed this <laughs> this audition. But I'm glad he's in it. He's a fantastic yeah. actor, and I always like seeing him pop up. And one thing I had not really ever thought about him, because he's so goofy, is the guy's tall and he's imposing. Yes. He, could, he doesn't normally get to play that side of him, but he does a little bit here, and it's, it's very affecting. Yes, especially in the later half of the film. Mm-hmm. So this movie is almost 50 years old at this point. I feel like we can kind of give some of the plot away, especially since the name gives so much of yeah, it away. Yeah, the name in itself is the plot. Essentially. It's, uh, it's aliens are coming to Earth and they are replicating and taking over for humans. There's not really any purpose to it. They kind of give a reason why they're doing it, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it's very early sci-fi stuff. Because the novel it's... was written 
when. Like, I, I honestly couldn't even guess as to when the novel was written. That was published in 1955. Okay. So that first movie just jumped on it. And it's been remade every couple every couple decades since then. Yeah. It's a classic sci-fi story, and every generation has a retelling of it. Yeah, there's... Including this one, there are three other versions. There's the one from uh, the 90s. Yes. 70s. Which I have not seen. There's one from the 2000s with Nicole Kidman and uh, Daniel Craig, and it's not good. I remember seeing the trailer for that before something and thinking it just yeah. looked god awful. It's 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 almost more of like a Puppet Masters, which is a similar uh, story yeah. that's also been remade, but that's more about people being taken over by parasites that control them, which you know very similar things. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a staple in sci-fi, just yeah people getting taken over by alien entities. Yes, but we're so, kind of avoiding the topic here. Um. What did you think of this version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers? I, in general, liked it. I think it's a little cheesy, and that's kind of the 70s thing. 70s films are overlit. They are, you know, they're still kind of finding their feet in terms of film. Like, in the 50s, things were so crazy. And then the people raised on the 50s were making films in the 70s. -hmm. So they have all of this control so they can kind of get their movies they want to see made. So this movie is violent. It's bloody, which I wasn't expecting. Yeah, so it's only PG, but it's probably a low R by today's standards. Maybe a high PG-13. It's there's There's full frontal nudity in this movie, which I was not expecting either. Me neither. Uh, so yeah, this would definitely, I think, be R by that standard. It was, oh, it's non-sexual sure. nudity, but it's, it's there. Uh, the effects are actually quite good. Yeah, they're few and far between, but um, the main effect is the flower pods, and they are fantastic as far as mid-70s movies go. Yeah, and sometimes you can tell when like a a pod is forming into a person, it's just the actor with some stuff on them. Yeah, but But that makes it all the more creepy. Yeah, it's a a great technique, and the, the requisite acting from the people playing the pod people is quite good yeah it's a complete tonal shift too once they do get their body snatched jeff goldblum's no longer a for example jeff goldblum's no longer a over-the-top eccentric character he's really laid back and calm and it's so weird seeing him so so just normal because we're so used to seeing him as just a complete crazy person even when he's trying to play a normal human being and that's why it works when he gets taken over it's so creepy yes uh, also, I really liked the chemistry between uh, Donald Sutherland and Brooke Adams. Yes, they are Matthew fantastic and, no. together on screen. Yeah. yeah, I've not seen too much with Donald Sutherland in it, honestly. He always struck me as kind of creepy. Yeah. But, you know, as a lead in this film, I think he works quite well. For sure. Uh, yeah, he, he, he kind of chews the scenery a bit, but... They all, all three of them kind of do. Yeah. And that's also a very 70s thing. They kind of pad out the time. But yes. <laughs> Don Sutherland is great. And his character, you, you said he's creepy. And that kind of works because yeah. Brooke Adams is his employee. Employee, mm-hmm. Yeah, employee. And they kind of have a really weird romantic tension going on throughout the whole film. Yes. And that kind of plays into 
I, I, I guess I, his acting plays into that creepy kind of factor but i guess it wasn't creepy in the 70s because even just that dinner scene when they're just talking and that's not plot related at all the chemistry is fantastic yeah even when she does that weird thing with her eyes that completely creeped me out oh my god it's disgusting <laughs> i i can't do eyeballs and for yeah. people who haven't seen it she just like kind of shakes her eyeballs it's like a weird yeah um, it looks like her eyes are rolling around ugh, in her skull it's, it's real weird it's disgusting i'd like her character a lot i like his character a lot uh, i think the movie is very good at building tension yes. too it just slowly ramps up yeah throughout the, the runtime it's a typical 70s slow burn and with that comes some gripes i have with a lot of 70s horror where they're about 20 minutes too long yeah. by the end of this movie it's just a foot chase Mm-hmm. And that also happens in the 50s version. The last, like, 20 minutes, are, she's just being chased by the aliens. And that happens in this, but it's a little different from the original. And it's just too long. Like, they, they could have cut that out. Yeah. There were a couple things in that that I really liked. Yes. Uh, I liked how, over time, there's just more and more pod people. Yeah. And it just, you can tell, and it just slowly engulfs the entire city basically i really liked and was also terrified by the dog man oh thing. my god that's terrifying <laughs> i mean it's obviously just a mask they put on a dog yeah but it, it's really convincing but it works with the grainy 70s film yeah and the one last thing i want to touch on is that final shot of donald sutherland it's a classic shot and i'm not going to spoil it but it's yeah. the final it's... shot of the film and it definitely lingers in your head mm-hmm. it's it's become memified it but it's definitely impactful and like in context is much better than a meme yes it's it's pretty uh it's pretty frightening one thing i noticed too while i was watching it is how much Shaun of the dead must have been influenced by this movie because the beginning of that movie feels more like this than it does even a zombie movie yeah, it, Shaun of the Dead has a lot of inspirations, but now that you mention it, I can see some clear Easter eggs in Shaun of the Dead from yeah. Invasion. Just like all the weirdness going on in the background and... A lot of like just, tracking shots and going about yeah. everyday life. Yeah. But yeah, overall, I really liked it. I liked it more than the 1950s version, which is the only one I saw. I haven't read the book, so I can't compare. But I thought Philip Kaufman did a really good job directing this. He's got tension throughout. It's a slow burn. But at the end, I think it could have been trimmed down a bit. Yeah. Uh, One more thing I want to point out is Robert Duvall has a cameo in like the first five minutes, and it's real weird. (laughs) But uh... I don't know him. He was um, Robert Duvall. He's a pretty well-known character actor. Um, I think he won. He won an Oscar for something I've never actually heard of, called Tender Mercies. But he he was in The Godfather. I mean, he was in a Apocalypse Now. He's in a bunch of stuff. Okay. But he has a a cameo as a, a priest that's on a swing set, and it's just like it's okay. almost human behavior, but not. It's like it's yes. it's a perfect uncanny valley. Yeah, that seems a little creepy too. But that's where it all begins. Yes. Um, I definitely liked it. I watched it for free on YouTube. Uh, oh. So it's definitely there right now on YouTube. It's also, watch for free. It's also on Tubi. 
Yeah, so it's definitely worth your time if you've, you know, got an hour and a half, two hours to spare. Yeah, it's what, hour, 50 minutes? Yeah, just yeah. under two hours. It's worth, it's worth us, I watched on Saturday, a Saturday afternoon. It's definitely yeah. worth just, it's a good afternoon movie. Yeah, it's definitely worth your time if you've, if you've got it. You could do a whole lot worse. All right, so we're going to take a short break and we're going to come back with A Quiet Place Part 2. Welcome back. I hope you all enjoyed the musical break. For our next film, we're talking about A Quiet Place Part 2, written and directed by John Krasinski, starring Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt, John Krasinski in a minor role. Millicent Simmons, Noah Dupe, and Killian Murphy. Um, Before we get into this, I just want to say that this film was shot in our hometown of Buffalo, New York. So... We're very excited to talk about it here on the podcast and give a little love to 716. Yeah, it's uh, the the first sequence, which is a flashback to the, the the initial invasion of these aliens, and that's been heavily featured in the marketing. It was shot on a street that I used to work on, so I'm actually very familiar with that street. So it was, it was cool to see it in in such a big movie. Did they uh, dress it up a little bit for the movie, or did they yes. shoot it as is? Uh, no, every storefront is different than it is in, in, uh, in the actual town. Um, basically, everything is... I mean, the, the shapes of the buildings are pretty pretty normal, or like as standard. Uh, you could see the building I used to work in right there. I'm like, oh, well, that, that's where my office was, right in, <laughs> right in that window. That's so cool. And, uh, yeah, um, and I wish that I had been working there the other day, because there's some cool stunts in there they, they flip a cop car yeah and you know, it's some cool mostly stuff practical there. stuff too so that yeah. would have been really cool to see yeah but by then i was working somewhere else yeah, which is kind of a shame but i think it would been cool to see it uh, i have some friends who went to set and i don't know what they were able to see but that's pretty cool yeah i had a couple of friends who actually worked on set and i haven't really talked to them about it but seeing their names in the credits was super cool and yeah really happy for all of them yeah this uh there's some other sequences too. You had mentioned off mic. There was a bit with uh, the uh, the Peace Bridge. No, uh, the Grand Island Bridge. There's oh, right. uh, yeah. one of the main set pieces is on the Grand Island Bridge, and they they look out over the horizon, and you know, living ten minutes away from that, you I know what the skyline looks like, and they worked their movie magic and completely changed it. So yeah, uh, it's just funny it's... seeing what Hollywood wants you to see versus reality. Yes, there's. A lot of this was 
clearly shot practically, but there's things that they, they had to change. Obviously, they couldn't, you know, instruct, they, they couldn't, you know, make these aliens move in a uh, realistic way without CG. Yeah. Uh, just the way that they move and the way that they're designed. But, uh, yeah, um, we're, you know, kind of tiptoeing around. This is a continuation of the first film. A quiet Very much so. Yeah. It's It picks up, aside from that, uh, the flashback intro, it picks up immediately after the end of the first film. Yes. Uh, which is, you know, fine, considering that your two of your leads are young kids who are clearly older. Just suspend your disbelief. Yeah, it. they're not too much older, so it's if you just, like, don't think about it, it's fine. Yeah, and Millicent Simmons, who is... I'm not sure if she's deaf or just uh, very hard of hearing in real life, is probably the closest thing to a lead this movie has. Yeah. And she is great. Yeah, she's really good. Everyone is very solid in this. I'd say their acting is even better than the first movie. But, you know, they had three, four years to really elevate their, their skills. Watching this, it I've noticed this from a number of movies we've covered where it just plays differently in the pandemic than it would have previously yeah um it's hard to not think of the pandemic from last year while watching this but that can be said about a lot of invasion movies now even invasion yeah. of the body snatchers i was get, thinking like this is kind of weird yeah now there's uh i don't want to give too much away because there's this is a pretty new movie and there's some really interesting twists that the movie takes mm-hmm. but there's there's one moment about three quarters of the way through. I'm like, this feels so real to life right now. And I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah. It's, it's hard to suspend disbelief and get entertained when you're just consistently reminded of last year. Yes. But let's talk about the movie and not the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> um, overall, I think the quiet place part two is a very solid movie, but we, we got to make comparisons to the first movie because it's so similar and so close story-wise. And I, yes. I just think part two is a lot less focused than the first movie. Where yeah. the first movie focuses entirely on John Krasinski and his family at their house. And the plot's very simple. You can't make noise or the aliens are going to come get you. And the big tension setter of the first movie is Emily Blunt's character is pregnant. And she's due any day now. And it's a very focused film. And it, it's a slow ramp up. And the, yeah. the tension's there throughout, all the way to the final shot. The tension's there. It doesn't let up. Where Quiet Place Part 2, for me, it felt very all over the place in terms of storytelling and tension. Yes. It, it is a bigger film, and I think yes. with that, it does lose some of its focus yeah it focuses uh, there's essentially three main plot lines going on in the in the second film and for me that really loses focus because you can't have a clear tension ramp with three different stories you got to keep intercutting between them yes and there's a there's a really good sequence about maybe halfway through where the of the three plot lines two are in incredibly tense situations and then it's almost like the movie just invented a third high tension situation for the third plot line that didn't really make sense. Yes. And just made the characters involved look really dumb, and I didn't like it. Yes. I think I know what scene you're talking about. Yeah. I'm trying to avoid giving spoilers because this film should <laughs> definitely. I'm not saying people should go to a cinema for not 
comfortable going to a cinema. But if you are comfortable going and it's playing near you, it's definitely a movie worth seeing on the big screen. It's a lot of fun. Yes. Uh, there's some really interesting stuff that's being used with survivalists that I really liked. But there's a couple other things where it's like, oh, I don't quite know what to make of this. Yeah. Um, the second, or Quiet Place Part 2, to me, felt very, it felt more rushed than the first movie. Like, John Krasinski didn't really take his as much time as he wanted on it. I think the studio kind of forced him to push it out. And I think yeah. with that, it loses a lot of the charm that was in the first movie. And yes. there's a lot of very convenient plot devices in this. And yes. I don't want to spoil anything, but it, it seems like a lot of the things in the big set pieces are just conveniently placed to get a good shot. If you know what I mean. Yes. I mean, the movie is called A Quiet Place Part 2, and it's considerably less quiet than the first one. Yeah, everyone's talking in this movie. No one yeah, cares. It's, yeah, it's the movie is significantly louder. There's, there's way more action. The first film is very slow and methodical and keeps the tension going, and that's very, very cool. This one does not do that to the same degree, and I think it misses a trick there. Yes. Uh, one tiny, tiny detail I noticed in this one. the In the first movie, the daughter, the, the deaf daughter, she speaks mostly in sign language. And in this one, as she's talking, she's whispering what she's saying. And yes. having this take place literally seconds after the first movie ends, that, just, it, that really took me out of it. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the family is clearly pretty well-to-do. They have this huge farm, the mother's a doctor they they almost certainly got her speech therapy mm -hmm. so that makes sense from a uh from a deaf my sister is deaf so okay. i know a bunch about this world um that would make sense but it doesn't make character sense because everyone does speak in sign language in the first film uh, john, um lee john christian's character would reprimand his kids for being too loud mm -hmm. because any in the first film any sort of noise would bring these monsters running yeah, in this one, it seems like it takes more sound to to bring them in. Yeah, it's Make of that what you will. It's not very consistent with the world they developed in the first movie. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's a bad film. I did really enjoy this film, despite some of my yes, issues. That's I had with that's it. the kind of thing that, like, I think I think unfortunately, Cinema Sins has made us all cynics when it comes to this sort of thing. Yeah, the uh, there are. In the first one, they point out that there's at least three of those monsters roaming the area, but how big the area is is not really known, and it's possible that they only hear things within a certain range. So it's totally reasonable that a smaller sound wouldn't bring one running. But um, we as an audience don't really know anything about these creatures. What we know is yes. what John Krasinski knows, which is mm -hmm. written on a whiteboard. Yes. Which I also, do like in in a lore-telling fact. It doesn't yes. just shove it right in your face. You have to actually pay attention to the movie. Yes. I liked that. I don't like how much more present they are in this one. They are... They're just constantly mugging for the camera, those mm -hmm. monsters. They're in way more of this film than they are in the first one. Yes. And the first one, it's more character-driven than horror-driven. Mm -hmm. And in this, it's more yes. horror and set-piece-driven. Yes, a lot of action. A lot of this feels almost like Walking Dead with the sound turned down. Yeah. <laughs> like one sequence in the middle especially feels very uh feels very much like the Walking Dead on the dock. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that felt very much like a survivalist type uh, type film yes. to me. And yeah, lo- looking at, I'm trying to see if there's a budget. The first one had a $17 million budget, and this one probably had a significantly larger budget. I don't see a budget, but I see an opening weekend is $47 million. Which is you know pretty respectable in general. and Especially for, for horror. Horror and for these times when movie theaters aren't fully reopened and they can't fill every seat. Yeah. That's, you know, pretty solid, honestly. Uh, I think it definitely was worth seeing on the big screen. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Yes, definitely worth going out to the theater for. Yeah. And even though it's a film that's, you know, kind of not as quiet as the first one, it definitely has some interesting sound design. I liked that. I like how they, in the first one and in this one, they do the same thing when it focuses on the daughter. What's her name? I want to just keep saying her name. Millicent? Yeah, Regan Abbott. Um, When it focuses on Regan, the sound just completely cuts out. It focuses on her. You're in her point of view, and she is deaf, so you can't hear anything. And it really plays with that because... In the back, in a in a very specific scene, there's some stuff going on in the background, and you can't hear any of it, and yeah. she doesn't see it. So as the audience, we're on the edge of our seat, like turn around, turn around. Yeah. But you know, I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, it's it's a film that I enjoy. I won't rank it quite as high as I would the first film. If I gave that one like an A minus, I'd probably give this a B. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's quite good, but it's not. It's not on the same level. Yes. But if you were to do a double feature, I think it would work quite well as a double feature. Yeah, there's. it's kind of like Alien and Aliens. They're both totally different. The first one's yes. a slow, methodical horror movie, and the second one is more action-based. And some people prefer that. Other people don't. I personally prefer the first one to the second. Yeah. Not that the action isn't good. The action is... It's fantastic. It's, yeah. But it's, this, it's more of the same, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I do like how some of the people in the world of the film have used to have learned to like almost use the monsters as traps. Yes, which is very clever. Yeah, um, in the trailer, it, and it's the first scene when they're opening yeah. when they're going into into Killian Murphy's character Emmett. When area. they're going into yeah. Emmett's um, home base, he has traps set up, and they're just noise traps. So yeah. it's honestly a brilliant world that they, they John Krasinski has built. And if they do a third one, and I'm sure they'll do a trilogy at this point because it's making a ton of money, I yeah. hope they focus a lot more on that in the third one. Yeah. The budget on this one was apparently like $60 million, so almost four times as much wow. as the first one, which makes sense. Yeah. The first mm-hmm. one, the f- it kind of came out, nobody really thought anything of it, and then it yeah. blew everyone out of the water. Yeah, I remember going to see it. This was pre-COVID times, mm-hmm. obviously. 2016, right? 18. 18. It was a completely dead... Th- I mean, the theater was packed, but you could hear a pin drop. Yeah, I saw it, cool. and you could hear people chewing popcorn across the theater. Yeah, which doesn't happen too often. No. Normally, there's but, all kinds of ambient noise, but everyone was just so quiet. Everyone was on the edge of their seat, and yeah. it was fantastic. Yeah, whereas this one doesn't have quite the same effect. It's still quite good. I still like yeah. it, but it's not as good as the first one. Yeah, um, Make of that what you will. Out of Quiet Place Part 2 and Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which one would you recommend to someone who wants to watch it, an alien film? I mean, that's a tough... I think I'd probably say Quiet Place 2 because it definitely is a faster, 
more action-packed movie where so much of Invasion is quiet subterfuge mm-hmm. and just weird characters for a while. But I like, but not everyone yeah. does. I think Quiet Place Part 2 is a much better made movie, mainly because of technology and yeah. modern storytelling devices. But I think Invasion of the Body Snatchers will hold up for someone looking for a more classic take on an alien film. Agree with you 100%. So it's hard to recommend one or the other. They're both very good movies. Yes. They're both worth your time. I would recommend if you get a chance to see Quiet Place 2 in a theater. Uh, There's some really fun stuff. Uh, Oak from Hamilton is in the the prologue, which is cool. It's unfortunate Uh, the prologue's the high point. Yeah, it's really well it's made. It's really good. There, it's almost all long takes, and there's um, they go into this bar that I used to go to after work some days <laughs> that I'm familiar with. So I knew that space. I'm like, oh, all times I was here, I never thought about what I would do if I was hiding from an alien That's in here. That's so cool. Uh, I was in there once when unannounced a tragically hip uh, cover band started playing, and I kind of wanted to hide then, but that's a totally different that sort of thing. sounds like a quiet place. <laughs> Um, it was very weird. One thing I forgot to mention is the editing in this movie. It put in specifically the final act when the three storylines all hit their climax. They're just edited so well and it flows really good. The yeah. juxtaposition between um, the three plots, just the way it's cut. And it kind of did it in the first movie too, but the way it's edited in this is a lot better. It feels very rhythmic. It. Uh, it'll just cut directly to the next scene without really announcing itself, mm-hmm. but you'd never feel like you're lost. Yeah. You always know precisely what's going yeah, on, he, and that's tough to do. Yeah, John Krasinski shot for the edit, as we say yeah. in the biz. Um, yeah, clearly knew what he was yes. doing and had this meticulously planned out, which is great. One of my favorites was just a simple fade. It, they were showing an island, and it faded, and you could still see the radio tower blinking. And when it faded up, it was a different angle of the island, same position of the tower, and it was just a completely different scene. It was brilliant. Yeah, and the the editor for this has only done a handful of things. Oh, he he was the editor for Fruitvale Station and Black Panther. Oh, so great movies. Yeah, I mean, dude knows what he's doing. Also for Creed, so I guess that he uh, he works with um, Ryan Coogler. He works with Ryan Coogler a lot, and Ryan Coogler is a guy that you know if. He hires someone, you should trust them because he knows what he is doing. Yes. Yeah. So that makes me think the studio had more of a hand in this considering the four times budget, uh, yeah. better editor and better effects. Yeah. But yeah, this guy knows what he's doing. And I think that definitely shows that the, the film is more tightly edited, yes. but it flows very, very well. Yes. Uh, the only real complaint I have, and this is kind of unavoidable, is that Killian Murphy's character just feels very much like another Lee Abbott. Like they just needed another male. Yeah, and with that, movie. with that, I didn't really want to get into this, but with that comes a lot of storytelling stuff that I didn't care for. It felt like the whole movie, all the characters were just trying to live up to Lee's legacy, yeah. and. Everyone was just like, oh, my dad would do this. Lee would do that. You'll never be Lee. And I felt like John Krasinski just kind of stroking his ego with that. Yeah, but. that was a little weird. I didn't much uh, much care for that either. But I mean, if the, if, the, uh, if the director had cast himself in the previous film and gave himself a, you know, a fantastic sacrificial scene. Like, I love that yeah. scene. Yes. 
that is uh it's yeah it it's a fun fun romp yeah i know we kind of <laughs> complained about it a lot but we had very high standards because it was shot in our yes. hometown but it's by no means a bad movie i highly recommend it uh yes, i not I quite as, as well co- sorry yeah it's like you were saying, it's not quite to the same level as the first one, but considering it's a, very much a studio sequel, that that makes sense. Yeah. That is going to happen, unfortunately, when a movie does as well as the first one did on almost no money. They will quadruple the budget and then demand more. Yep, just like... But the first one only had like seven people in it. This one has hundreds. Yeah, there's... I don't want to get too much into it. It's yeah. four days old, so... Yeah. Um, go see it. I highly recommend it. Yes. Uh, any ideas for what we want to do for next week? The Conjuring 3 comes out. Awesome. Thanks for joining us at the Crossroads. Please like, comment, share, all that good stuff. It helps with our algorithm. The Crossroads podcast is recorded and produced by Rob Kolb and Ryan Hall. The Crossroads theme was written and recorded by Caleb Dorr. Featured music this episode is The Sound of Silence, written by Paul Simon, performed by Emma Louise and Husky Gowenda. So, I went back and I actually watched uh, Army of the Dead again. We didn't talk about the three craziest shit, three three craziest things in that movie. Which are we we didn't talk about the the idea that there's a time loop going on. Like we just didn't mention that. Okay. Um, we didn't mention that there are robot zombies. Okay. <laughs> and we didn't mention that the the lead zombie got his girlfriend pregnant. Okay, and, yeah. And that movie is so much weirder than I originally thought. I don't know how we didn't talk about them because they're insane. We should but. do a an extended <laughs> edit. I gotta watch it again. We'll, I don't remember we'll do a time now. loop theory. Maybe uh, maybe I zoned out for a bit. Yeah, Van, Van Hoy, whatever his name is, the guy with the saw, like, just starts talking about how they run into a bunch of skeletons of people wearing oh, the yeah. same costumes. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. That's weird. And, um... They talk about that for a little bit, and then there's one zombie gets like a bullet in the head, and there's just like a Terminator face underneath, and some of the zombies have glowing blue like mechanical eyes. Oh yeah, <laughs> I like Zack Snyder. He's just fucking insane. Yeah, he is. <laughs>